Hey friends, thanks for listening to the City Network Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Before we get to the episode, I want to take a moment to tell you about the Soul Care Prayer Summit happening April 22nd to 24th up at Quaker Hill in McCall. The summit is for men and women who serve as leaders and missionaries in the Treasure Valley. This is a space created for you as a visionary leader to hear from God and care for your soul. And it's not just for pastors. It's for anyone who has a vision for kingdom transformation in their sphere of influence. We want to create a space for you and your spouse to pray over that and to pray for our valley together as a unified church trying to reach our communities with the gospel. We're also helping with childcare this year, so let us know on the registration form if that's a need for your family. Go to thecitynetwork.org slash soulcare to register. And now for today's episode. I didn't realize it, but God was really preparing me to be the kind of person that pastors wherever I go. I don't need to be in a pulpit. Like that's such a tiny part of pastoring. And it gave me a new imagination for what ministry could look like. And then even the preschool, like I wasn't trying to run a preschool. I don't even have a background in education. (laughs) I don't have any right to be doing this, but the Lord kept opening doors, kept blessing it, kept saying, do this thing. And now I can eat just now, by the way, and this is year four of this organization. I can see this is also pastoring like pastor the people that god brings to your door jesse you don't need to go out and find them he's literally built i think of it as like a clubhouse like the preschool is a clubhouse where all these people are coming and i get to take care of them and they don't even go to my church it's so subversive and like what a better way to do it also it's the way that jesus did it he shepherded people on the road. He shepherded them at home. He shepherded them at tables. The temple was such a tiny part of what he did. You're listening to the City Network Podcast. Our mission is to grow and multiply healthy churches in the Treasure Valley and beyond. Head to thecitynetwork.org for more info on our initiatives to catalyze church transformation and church planting. Here's today's podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the City Network podcast. I'm your host, Alyssa Statlander. I'm the communications director at the City Network. And today we are talking with um, pastor and my friend, Jesse Horney. Hey, Jesse, what's up? Hey, Alyssa. Good morning. Good morning. (laughs) Um, I'm going to do just want to give you a little intro to who Jesse is. Um, she's a pastor at Redemption Hill here in Boise. She runs a nonprofit preschool called Wonder School. She's a mom of three, an incredible leader and discipler and a talented writer. And as I said, my friend, most important. Um, she's also studying to get her master's at Fuller. Um, and today we're going to talk with her about seasons of calling, um, being bivocational and living in the world in a way that's impactful. This in our everyday ordinary living. So let's jump in. Um, Jesse, I would love to start with you um, just telling us a little bit about your journey to being a pastor. A lot of times at City Network, we have people who have sort of a similar um, background. You know, they uh, like right out of college, 
went to seminary, became a pastor, decided they were going to do church planning, did that. Um, But your journey is pretty different. Um, And I'd love to just have you talk a little bit about um, what it was like for you to come around to the fact um, that you did feel a calling towards being a pastor and what that looked like for you. Uh, Well, yeah, I'm a little late to the game, which is, I think, good in some ways. I'm 37, so I've just been around a minute. (laughs) I don't have any ideals left about church. (laughs) They've all been knocked out of me, which can be effective because you just come in with your eyes a little more open. I uh, went to college to get a writing degree, specifically a creative writing degree, (laughs) which, as you know, quite lucrative. I was really looking (laughs) forward to a well-paying career. (laughs) Um, But I also went to college a little late. I didn't graduate from Boise State until I was 26, had a one-year-old and was 35 weeks pregnant with my second. So (laughs) that journey was a little strange too. And then as soon as my second baby was born, I stayed home with my kids. So for six years, I was home with those two. And then I had another baby. Um, so I had three kids in three years and this writing degree that I really wasn't using in any way, except for a blog that I was writing called horny mom tells all. And it was mostly just a way to like reach across the universe and see if anyone was listening. And when I think about the call to pastoring in my life, I think it's the same in a lot in a lot of ways to everyone's call, like the call never changes, but the way that we get there does. And I can look back on those years of being in college and being a young mom at home and see the things I was doing was preparing me to pastor. And I was in some sense pastoring like through my writing, I was really reaching people. When I read back to what I wrote, I think like, oh, these are little sermons that I was like, Mm -hmm. I didn't realize I was writing, but I was so bold about my faith on that blog. It's really funny to me to read now. Like, oh, wow. I was just not afraid to talk about God on here. And then um, there was just a couple, there was a couple instances during that time where close friends of mine, like best friends, went through deep loss and grief. There was sort of like four in a row in a really bizarre way. And I can see now that my response in those situations and the way that God called me in those situations was showing me what it would look like for me to pastor people. My best friend lost her first baby um, at 37 weeks. She was oh. stillborn. Our, That's mm-hmm. so horrible. Yeah, and I didn't have kids yet. And it was just like, we were young. We mm-hmm. were really young when all this was happening. And then really soon after that, another one of our very best friends, these are all people we grew up with, her husband died. They've been married 10 months in a tragic accident. That was shocking. And... Then like a year later, another best friend, and we we were all like related even, she was diagnosed with a very serious cancer diagnosis 
And then in that same season, some of our best friends had a little boy. He was three. He was the same age as our kids. Um, he was diagnosed with cancer as well. And he died like less than six months later. So it was just like the most loss and sadness we could handle as a group of young people. And we kept looking around like, where's the grownups? And then realizing we were the grownups. And in each of those situations, I can look back now and see how God was forming me in that moment, but also using my gifts to care for the people around me, which I think in the end is how I pastor. It's like, what are the things that God has given me to give away to other people? And I'll never forget speaking at that little boy's funeral. And I mean, people at a little kid's funeral, it is a different kind of grief. It's like agonizing, especially if you already have a tenuous relationship with the idea of a God. Now you're like, well, who cares? Right. And they had asked me to give his eulogy. And that was the first time I'd ever written in a way like that, where I was like, I would pray. I mean, I couldn't write a single word without just like the agony of prayer. It was such a Gethsemane moment for me of being in the olive grove and like just every pore of my body aching for this pain. And then I asked God, like, you've got to use what I write to comfort these people. And I stood up there and I could see what God gave me to say was what these people needed. And I knew it wasn't me. I knew it was the power of the Holy Spirit. I didn't have any right to what was happening, but that was such a clear moment for me, like a clarion moment of, oh, I meant to use my words to lead people to the truth and to bring comfort to people who need it. And that that was a shift in my heart of like, this is what I'm meant to do. That's beautiful. Um, going from there, I want to talk about two separate things today. Um, first is just the way that God sort of, it, I love like hearing the thread and all the different like seasons that you just talked about of like, oh, the pastoring thing was what I was already doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how God was using the different seasons to prepare you. Mm-hmm. Um and then after we talk about that, I want to talk to you about um, just living with your friends in a way that's intentional and like a way that matters as a pastor now. So first, um, the way you talked to me about it before, you said uh, you used the phrase seasons of calling. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about what you mean by that? Um, and then what that what that looks like for you now? Yeah. I don't think our calling ever changes there's this idea that like a calling is a job, but that's not true because our jobs change all the time. But understanding my calling as a storyteller and a friend, I feel like those are the two spaces in my life where it's so natural to me. And I can look back and see like, I felt really stuck those years at home, to be honest with the kids. Like I I wouldn't have given it away for anything and I didn't want to work. I didn't I didn't want other people to watch them, but I can see that like I, I, in my mind, those are like the years of kitchen table ministry and people would come uh, like I made people come to my house. I 
would hardly leave because it was such a, I had, the babies were so small, but I was like, you can come over here. I love to cook. So I would like make food for people and they would come. And I wasn't trying to pastor anybody. I was in the same situation. Most of them where we were just like lonely moms, but they would come over and I'd make them food and I would invite their kids into my home and I would listen to them. And I was really deep in the word those years. Like I had never read my Bible like that before. And I was just like spilling over with, this is what God's doing in me. This is what is available to you. And I didn't realize it, but God was really preparing me to be the kind of person that pastors wherever I go. I don't need to be in a pulpit. Like that's such a tiny part of pastoring. And it gave me a new imagination for what ministry could look like. And then even the preschool, like I wasn't trying to run a preschool. I don't even have a background in education. <laughs> I don't have any right to be doing this. But the Lord kept opening doors, kept blessing it, kept saying, do this thing. And now I can eat just now, by the way, and this is year four of this organization. I can see this is also pastoring, like pastor the people that God brings to your door, Jesse. You don't need to go out and find them. He's literally built I think of it as like a clubhouse, like the preschool is a clubhouse where all these people are coming and I get to take care of them and they don't even go to my church. It's so subversive and like, what a better way to do it. Also, it's the way that Jesus did it. He shepherded people on the road. He shepherded them at home. He shepherded them at tables. The temple was such a tiny part of what he did. So when I talk about seasons of calling, I mean, God has given you, Alyssa, a call in your life. It's a combination of what breaks your heart and what lights you up. That's your calling. And it can look a lot of different ways in a lot of different seasons. But the core of who you are is a reflection of a part of God that I'll never be. And your calling is to bring that reflection to the people in your life. Because they don't get to see that part of God. They're not Alyssa. But when they experience you, they're experiencing something about their creator that they wouldn't have if they weren't with you in your calling, whether that's teaching theater or doing social media, whatever it is, like we're experiencing Alyssa, which means we're experiencing Alyssa's creator. That is your calling. It's not your job. Well, that's so good. Yeah. I thought it's, it reminds me of that, um, that quote that's uh what is it i think you said it once yeah the buchner um, quote mm -hmm. the, yeah it's like the you're calling is the world's where the world's deep hunger and something oh yeah, no the world's deep need meets so, your deep joy yes yeah, yeah like something like that mm -hmm. it's so good yeah um for you what is what feels hard about what you were just talking about like what's something that feels like a challenge to you about that if there is one if you're like oh. it's just simple for me yeah calling, no so. challenges here <laughs> um a part of it is just like the thing that's so beautiful about you probably is also the thing that's hard about you so the thing that's hard about me is that i i always feel like i'm missing out like my personality has a deep need to be everywhere all at once. <laughs> and those kitchen table years felt small. 
I can see now that they weren't. I was reaching more people at my kitchen table and through that blog than I probably ever have in my life. But it felt small. And I had to face the part of me that didn't want to be small. It's good I didn't know. It's good I had to be in that small space because it did something really important to me. So I think seasons of calling feel hard when it it doesn't feel like you're in a calling at all. It just feels like you're living your life. And then you feel like you're wasting your life. And there's kind of a lot of pressure around young people like, don't waste your life. You know, like this is the one thing that you have to give is your time. So there's kind of a panic inducing. And for me, it makes me feel like spun out and chaotic. For some people, it makes them kind of curl up and like shrink themselves back. We all react to it in different ways, but that is the hard part about seasons of calling is that we don't control the seasons. Yeah, that's so good. I'm like, wow, Jesse, you're just saying everything I need to hear right now. Thank you. I mean, it's hard because I'm looking at you and I disciple you and I know what I want you to know. You're like, <laughs> I'm just going to podcast for you. <laughs> toss out these little nuggets for you. You're welcome. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's so good though. I, uh, I wrote down seasons of calling feel hard when they don't feel like a calling at all. You're just living your life. That's really good. And also so beautiful. Cause you know, that's how, that's where God comes in. That's what Jesus did too. You know, like, mm. like what you were saying earlier, he doesn't like be like, okay, I'm starting this thing. Everyone right. knows me now. <laughs> I'm called. He just is like, all right, let's go walk around. Yeah. He didn't name his ministry. He didn't brand his ministry. Mm -hmm. He didn't have a flow chart. Yeah. It's so counterintuitive to what we think legitimizes a call. Like we think a calling is legitimized by an organization and by money and by flow charts. (laughs) And it's not the way of Jesus, but it's uncomfortable. And then we really have to face down why it's uncomfortable. And it's because, you know, the we're tempted by ambition and approval and our appetite. And so is Jesus and he faced it down. So I know that we can, it's just takes some prayerful work. Yeah. Yeah. And figuring out, listen, yeah. Listening to like, Ooh, this is truly the part of me that like I'm rubbing up against and Mm -hmm. to something different than what's happening. Yeah. But I also want to say that like the idea of joy is Mm. crucial to that too yeah you know jesus was full of joy and love for those people and it was hard but he was doing exactly what he came to earth to do so there wasn't a moment where he wasn't completely fulfilled and i think that if we can disconnect joy from happiness and understand that joy actually has like a deep fulfillment to it will be uh, more willing to take risks and more willing to do the thing that doesn't look big because the fulfillment will be like the most delicious part of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. All <laughs> right. So pivoting a little bit, um, I'd love to uh, hear you talk about um, really getting into that. Like, how do we, live in the world in a way that's intentional and you're touching on it a little bit. Um, and this is something that you're really good at, um, is making people feel like seen and known 
in their simple interactions with you. Um, Like how you were saying, you know, like we see different pieces of God in each other. I think that's a part of you that really is uh, like a part of God that I see in you. Um, It's just the way that you see people and you're able to speak into their lives in your everyday. Um, And so this might be something that you're like, you don't really think about like how you do it, but I'd love for you to um, talk to us a bit about, yeah, I mean, how you do it. Think about that. (laughs) (laughs) How you live in the world. I wrote how you live in the world with your friends in a way that's intentional, especially as like a bivocational person. Sure. Right. Well, I think I first would just have to be so clear that I'm there that part of me that's easy makes other parts of me really hard and I'm like Mm -hmm. constantly overextended I love being with someone but like communicating through a phone or even like being present with people who are far away that's really hard for me so there's people who are just like constantly disappointed by me as well (laughs) if I'm with you you're gonna feel seen and known because truly i love the people anyone but if you're far away from me it's very hard for me to like keep that connection so I I just want to be really honest with that that's a part of me that's yet to be formed or mature I relate relate to you so much on that yeah big way it's a bummer and I'm I feel like I apologize a lot Mm -hmm. but there is some intention to how I treat people some of it's natural but some of it is just like seeing how Jesus does it. And when I say I was reading my Bible deeply in those years, I mean, I was consuming the word of God like a starving person. And what I noticed a lot about Jesus was that when he was with someone, he was truly with them and he used people's names. Like, I think it's a really big deal to know people's names and to use people's names. That is something I do And I know it's like in a strange way sometimes. I use a lot of physical affection with people. It That's in me. It's not hard for me to do. But I also just recognize that like people don't get touched very often. And it's important. And you see Jesus use touch. Like when he heals people, he touches people. When he's with people, like he's sitting beside them at a table. I know that he was touching them. And that is something that I... I really do think about like when I'm with someone and they are giving off a vibe of like defensiveness or I can tell that they don't feel connected to the world around them in a safe way. I'll use my physical touch to bring some healing to them through that. That's important to me, whether I know them or not. And I know that's crazy. And a lot of people are going to be like, no, thank you. But using people's names and touching them to me is the physicality of the savior like jesus isn't touching them right now but i can and they're gonna know that god loves them through that and then with like as far as when when i was commissioned at redemption hill i don't it's not a denomination so i wasn't ordained i'm not done with my uh, masters of theology so i'm not like i don't have a degree behind my name yet but the words that robert used when he commissioned me were or when he talked to me about it, when he convinced me to do it was being a parish pastor, which is kind of an old term, but basically it means wherever you are, 
care for those people. So I like secretly in my head when I'm at my kids' school and I'm on that campus, I consider myself the parish pastor of Barbara Morgan STEM. When I'm out on the soccer fields coaching, just in my heart, I think to myself, I am a pastor to these people. Whether they go ever go to my church or not, I don't care. But how can I care for them? How can I shepherd them? How can I show them the face of God in my interaction with them? I really, truly mean it. Like that is a question that I ask myself before I go anywhere. How can I care for these people? Not because I have the word pastor behind my name. I was already doing this before that, but there is some freedom now in that for me. Like, and I think as a woman too, like Robert always tells me, actually a lot of my pastor friends who are men tell me they don't like to tell people they're pastors, like on, on planes or in public spaces because people really shut down. And I've had the exact opposite experience. Like when I'm interacting with someone and they find out that I'm a pastor, something like uncoils in them and they relax in a way that's stunning to me. And maybe it's because I'm a woman and they're surprised by it, or maybe it's because they feel cared for and they've never had a pastor care for them like that before. But the title and Jesus like really doesn't like us to use titles, but the way that I've seen that word work in my life is to give people the freedom to like engage with me spiritually and not feel weird about it. They're like, well, she's a pastor. So it's fine for me to ask these questions or she's a pastor. So it's not weird for her to pray for me on a soccer field, you know, and I just take that freedom and run with it. That's cool. Well, and it's cool for you. I, th- I remember you saying like, and you just said it, like it gives you just that freedom of like, oh yeah, I am. It's, it's sort of like a validation underneath it almost. A little bit. Yeah. Like I can spend this time just being with this person and not feel like, oh gosh, I spent so much time doing that when yeah. maybe I should have been doing something else because yeah. it gives you that freedom of like, well, I'm actually doing my work. In just like sitting here and being with this person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. All right. So last question. Um, I would love for you um, to talk about what it is like a little bit, what it's like for you to be a woman in ministry, especially Mm -hmm. in Boise where there's not a lot of Mm -hmm. women. Well, not a lot of women who are pastors. Mm-hmm. Lots of women who are in ministry. Yeah. Um, I'll want to be clear about that. Um, but I think I I would specifically like to hear you talk about um what we you would say or slash do to encourage other women who are feeling a call towards pastoral ministry, mm-hmm. um, but just don't see it modeled for them very often. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I've I've thought about this a lot of how like young men often, you know, we see mostly male pastors. And so men are often like, oh yeah, I could be a pastor. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wonder for myself a lot, like if I had seen more female pastors in my life, would I have been like, oh, maybe I'll be a pastor. Cause I have thought of that before, but Mm -hmm. it, it was, I was real late to sort of like what you were saying, even like, late to the game of even considering it um, because we just don't see it that often. Mm -hmm. 
So anyways, I just would love to hear you talk about that um, because we are, I think, seeing every like city network gathering, we see more women there. And so I think there is a hunger for um, spaces for women to be in pastoral leadership. And anyways, would just love to hear you talk about that. Sure. Yeah, I didn't grow up with any women pastors. My husband and I both grew up very conservative Baptist and then just sort of ended up at a church in Nampa crossroads. Like, I think we were three years in before we realized we were like, Oh, I think we're Methodist. <laughs> like, I think we saw it on a bulletin. We're like, whoopsies. I guess we're evangelical Methodist now, but in that tradition, women are pastors, like no question and elders. And I also didn't realize even growing up that women weren't even elders. Like there was no position of leadership for a woman at the church my mom was married to a pastor. And so I saw her influencing the church through her relationship with my dad, but uh, she certainly wasn't pastoring. I think even now when I see women in ministry, they tend to be married to someone who's in ministry. And that has been complicated. Like Sam's job is he works for Idaho power. He's alignment. It's like the complete opposite of what I'm doing. So when I go to any sort of ministry things, people are looking for my husband or wondering like where we lead in church together and we don't. So that's been uh, curious to me of like, do I need a husband in ministry to make this work even just logistically? Because church hours are weird and like pastoring hours are weird. And I have three little kids who are my first calling. So Part of what I've had to reconcile is that the model that I have seen is not the model that I'm called to follow. Mm. First of all, because we don't we don't have like career pastors at Redemption Hill, and it's not even something I'm interested in. You know, like we're very yeah. strongly bivocational and we don't work for the church. We work with the people. It's different. Mm -hmm. So I've had to lay aside like the model that I saw, even at crossroads of like a career pastor, that's not what I'm called to do. And that gave me a lot of freedom. Like, okay, I can pastor everywhere I go. And I, I think if I was speaking to young women or older women, honestly, even women older than I am, like one of the women who I've been discipling for a few years was called into pastoring in her sixties and she's incredible at it. And she's such a gift to the church Calling is not gendered. It's not because I don't, I don't think that God would cut off half the church. <laughs> and Sam is clearly, my husband is clearly not called to pastor. No part of him wants to do that. So it's so strange to think that like he should be able to do it and I shouldn't. And he and I really had to wrestle that out. Like, what does this mean for our family? And, you know, some of, some of our family members don't, believe that women should be allowed to elder or a pastor. And so we've had to walk through that with them. But I think the most important part about being called to anything is to get really curious about where you're already doing that thing and ask yourself, is God actually calling me into something brand new or is he calling me into a different expression of what mm -hmm. I've already been doing? Mm -hmm that's really different. And that was true for me. Like pastor had such a weight behind it. But then the more that God led me through it, the more he was like, you're already doing this thing. You have been doing it for a decade. 
let me help you do it in a way that you'll have more support, that you'll have more, a little bit of oversight, some like accountability, education. Seminary was really important to me because I felt like if you're going to speak to the people, you better know what God's saying in the first place. That's important. Sam and I were driving to church this Sunday and I was, we both had to be there early because I was preaching and he was on the hospitality team. He was making the coffee that morning. And I was just like, wow, this is such a wild experience for my kids. They knew we have to get up early. We have to get to church. Dad's making the coffee. Mom's preaching. And it, I wasn't trying to make a big deal out of like, it's not, it, it's not a role reversal because God does not have roles in the kingdom according to your gender. So even to think of it as a role reversal or like, isn't this funny that your parents are doing the opposite thing? I don't want to say that to them. I want to say, this is the thing that daddy's called to in this season. And this is the thing that mommy's called to in this season. And we're listening to the father and doing what he says. Mm -hmm. And if that's complicated for other people, that's okay. Because we only answer to one person and that's our father. Yeah. So if God's calling you to it. Ask some people some questions, get curious and then see where God's going. Yeah, that's good. Oh, I love that. Um, I'm thinking if I had anything else with that question, I don't think so. Um, no, that's beautiful. And I like that. I love that. Um, just that idea of like, you don't actually, you don't have to worry about what other people are going to say, what other people think. It's not about that. It's about, like you said, answering just to one person mm -hmm. and listening to what God is saying to you. Yeah. And I mean, caveat on that too, because I'm actually a really big believer in, and I say this all the time, you should not lead unless you are being led mm -hmm. by a human being in an intimate relationship. Like you are not being led by podcasts. You are not being led by authors. Those people don't know you. They can't call you out on your BS. So whether you're a man or a woman stepping into some kind of a ministry role, you need to have people who are over you, who you trust, who can come to you as an advocate, right? We talk about that word a lot. Like who's going to advocate for, for you to listen to the father and do what he says, who's going to hold you accountable to the things that you said, God said, that's crucial. I don't care if you're a man or a woman, do mm -hmm. not lead without being intimately led by a trusted advisor. Yeah. Well, that's a great, it's a great word to go out on. <laughs> Just Don't a do it. Morning. <laughs> Get a leader. Get a leader. Just be so discipled. You know. <laughs> be discipled. Everyone should be yeah. actively discipled at all times in their life. You never outgrow that. Yeah. And it's beautiful that that's how God, you know, made it work for us. Cause he's like, you shouldn't be doing that by yourself anyways. I oh, didn't you yes. to do it by yourself. That's a that good word, cool. Alyssa. It's not just like a warning. It's an like, oh, I have a beautiful way and it's with friends. <laughs> do it. Do it my way. You'll totally. be happier and feel yes. less despair. <laughs> <laughs> less despair. That's the title of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> How to get less despair, at least a little. <laughs> really good. Oh man. Well, thank you so much, Jesse, for joining yeah. us. Um, if people want to find more about you or talk to you about anything, where should they go? 
They can come upstairs at Wonder School <laughs> <laughs> to the couches. Uh, no, I'm on Instagram, jessie.horny. And that's really about it right now. Yeah. Things are things are pretty close to home. I'm if you're not being discipled by me or discipling me, <laughs> <laughs> then you're gonna have to reach out. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Jesse, again for talking with us. Um, and thank you everybody for tuning in. And we'll see you again soon. Okay, love you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the City Network Podcast. If you have any comments or questions, join the discussion on our Facebook group at thecitynetwork.org slash group. Or sign up at the website to subscribe to updates from our blog and podcast.